You are listening to the City Church Pastors Podcast. This is episode number 150. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this week's Pastors Podcast. I'm Corey. I'm here with Joel. Hello, hello. Nate. Greetings. And Zach. Hi. Just for the record, Nate, your greetings does not sound as good as mine, but keep trying. Uh, this week we're gonna we're gonna keep uh, keep going with our series on evangelicalism. Uh, in the opening series, our opening podcast of this series, we talked about a little bit just broadly what evangelicalism is and what it is not, and just part of in some ways confessing the difficulty of even defining the term because it means so many things to so many different people. Uh, and so even in our doing this podcast series, we recognize that there is a level of difficulty, and some would disagree with our definitions. But just again, trying to start somewhere uh, and, and provide some uh, way of, of understanding the, the historic element of, of evangelicalism. In the last podcast, we talked about some of the good things, uh, some of the, the things that uh, we would like to celebrate about evangelicalism and how that is framed in a historical context. And then in this podcast, we want to talk about some of the, the kinds, in some ways, kind of what evangelicalism has become and some of the, the negative aspects of that or disappointing, frustrating uh, think, things, uh, elements that, that are, are present and part of contemporary evangelicalism. In some ways, reasons why we even have to have a podcast uh, about this. So, Nate, why don't you give a quick overview of the four kind of uh, uh, elements that we're using to kind of work through that we did in the last podcast, we talked about positive aspects, and then I think in this podcast we would just do the negative aspects of those. It would be an easy way to organize it. So... Yeah, so at the last episode, we framed our thoughts around uh, the quadrilateral of evangelicalism. There are four priorities, conversion, biblicism, cross-centered, and activism. Uh, highlighted uh, many of the advantages advantages, or how those are good things, uh, at least in their inception, but maybe now how they're misconstrued, and I guess starting with conversionism. Yeah. And uh, you gave a lot of your cons on that in the last podcast, but we, we can revisit, revisit some of those. Uh, but one of the things I remember you talked about was conversion is not decisionism, you know, so, so that we talked about how conversion is a supernatural act. It's not just like, oh, you know, there's the old sim, I have decided to follow, to, I have decided to follow Jesus, uh, that there is a volitional act in conversion, obviously, but uh, that, that a lot of times the, the misconception of that or the abuse of that is just a very simplistic, you know, affirm these three doctrinal points, say this 10 second prayer, and you are now a Christian. It doesn't matter what you, what you do the rest of your life. So I think just having grown up in the South and pastored in uh, various contexts before coming to Cleveland where, where Christianity was more the cultural norm, one of the difficulties that pastorally that I dealt with was was dealing and addressing with adults who had zero evidence of Christian fruit and uh, and charity um, and any evidence of good works as the New Testament would talk about in their life, but would affirm that they are Christians because at a certain age when they were seven, eight, nine years old, uh, a lot of times at a VBS, Bible, Vacation Bible School or something, that they made a decision for Christ and were baptized, uh, but there's no visible fruit or love of Christ uh, or submission to the Lordship of Christ in our life. So it's very hard to talk to them about that. And the, the way that Keller, the illustration he always used was like those Tim Keller talked about. Uh, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> that was Nate looking at me to explain who that was for those who can't see. Uh, 
Tim Keller using the example of that a lot of times people have been inoculated to the gospel. Uh, and so in some ways they were. What does uh, that word mean? Like they just had enough of it to build up a yeah, defense. A defense. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they. Like they, a flu they, shot. Yeah. And the church. Well, one had, that actually works. But yeah. The church had confirmed these things in them. And yeah. therefore the church was complicit in that. Uh, and so trying to convince them that, you know, maybe in fact you don't know and love Jesus was very difficult, almost impossible sometimes. Yeah, and I think uh, if you're trying to draw connections here as a city church member, this is one of the reasons we do membership interviews mm -hmm. because we're saying to people one of the ways we love them is by sitting down and listening for these things. Can they articulate a genuine experience of God's grace, a, a coming to faith in Jesus, regeneration, or are they just holding on to some cultural uh, kind of connection or some family upbringing, mm -hmm. and that's why it's so important. Yeah, and uh, why we do a church covenant as yeah. well, you know, because saying that, okay, if we are saying that if you love Jesus, there are certain expectations of a, of a type of life that that would, would lead to. Not a perfect life, but one that is desiring holiness, uh, mm -hmm. desiring love for neighbor, uh, yeah. love for God, and that actually means practical things in your life. Right. As is true with anything, um, good things can be distorted um, and caricatures can be created uh, for, for anything. Um, but in this case, talking about decisionism, there's also kind of um, a reality of a, a pseudo-righteousness that comes from um, winning and saving souls, like that, that kind of attitude, uh, which is, again, nowhere in the scriptures, at least in the in, in the form and attitude that we see it often, um, <clears throat> that like almost as a, a a notch of righteousness in in, in your belt, and that's just that that's mm -hmm. not uh, healthy, and that's not at all what we mean by conversion. Yeah, I was gonna say that uh, you know the <clears throat> kind of healthy form that we talked about uh, last podcast is that this is the great equalizer, that we are all born alienated from God, and we need to be born again. We need to be uh, born as children of God. Uh, so this should lead us to humility. But to your point, I was going to say one kind of fallout of decisionism is it objectifies people. Yes. Uh, even in the biblical language and metaphors that we use of people, if we're using it in any way that's dehumanizing them or just making them a project for our own goals. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm very aware uh, uh, on Sundays and community group and all the things we do as a church, and you guys are likewise, just how we talk about non-Christians in a way that's inherently respectful, mm -hmm. uh, that's affirming their personhood, that they're not a project, they're not a statistic uh, to be kind of uh, a part of our scheme. Uh, mm -hmm. So even just talking about people as non-Christians rather than saying we are found and they are lost or mm -hmm. we're lightness and they're darkness or mm -hmm. uh, things like that, that uh, the Bible used that imagery to humble us, not to humble people that's who good. are outside yeah, of the church. Uh, and I think that kind of... Uh, conversionism turned into decisionism like you mm -hmm. said just mm -hmm. makes people like one more notch in your belt yeah, or you can one see more it in there where, where it's not like evangelism should be a humble act uh, under the authority of god uh in love toward the neighbor oftentimes it, when in this kind of attitude um what matters what's ultimate is that you are doing the act right so like you're like to even call it i'm going to go save souls like that like not only strips God of his authority and his saving work, but it gives it, you authority yeah. you don't have. <laughs> right. Exactly. That. And then it also, it just like, so you can see these different kinds of modes of, of, of how people talk about Jesus, whether it's a, you know, a blowhorn on, on the, the street corner 
or it's a bunch of signs outside of whatever. It's like you, if you ask them what they're like, is this effective? Are you actually like talking to people? And do you see it's people more about the act? And, yeah, it's about I them. Mean, so, yeah, right. What's a blowhorn? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I yeah, I think, right. you know, it's uh, <laughs> kind of often thrown around quote that I think has a lot of truth to it, that evangelism or uh, what we're trying to see through our global partners, uh, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Uh, and I think more often than not, we act like we're Panera Bread and yeah. everybody just has to come to us. Right. Uh, I think another thing that conversionism can turn into is not that you need to be converted to Jesus, but that you need to be converted to our cultural norms. And this is probably more of a blind spot more often than an intentionality, but to say like you have to become like this particular cultural church. And I guess kind of what I'm referring to is kind of a white evangelicalism that says you gotta be like us, talk like us, act like us, think like us, uh, use our categories, read our books. Uh, and I think we always need to push the conversion is to Jesus. Uh, it's not to, again, usually blind spots, but cultural norms of like an evangelicalism as a culture yeah, uh, rather than as a theology. And I think that blends nicely into the second one, which is to say that that evangelicalism, a con of it, is that it has really failed to meet in many ways the criteria that it is under the Bible. That mm -hmm. what it has come to mean is evangelicalism is synonymous with a certain understanding of the Bible that is uncritiqued and uncriticized, that certain, even like you talk about Nate, like white evangelicalism in terms of as a church tradition, uh, I think political affiliation and connection is that evangelicalism is so, you know, unfortunately tied to conservative political ideology and just saying all these things, the evangelicals somewhere along the way stopped thinking critically about their understanding of the Bible so that their understanding of their understanding of the Bible became the Bible, if that makes sense, like a de facto kind of Bible. And I think you see this on the like overarching level and the way no one's asking these questions, or at least no one in power, no one in majority, no one in influence is asking these questions, especially among white evangelicals. But even on a popular culture level where you could grab an evangelical and say, what does the Bible say about X? And they would say, they would either speak with irrational confidence <laughs> or they would say, well, doesn't it say somewhere? And then they would, and what they're saying is my understanding of the Bible is just as good as actually knowing yeah, the Bible. We're a part so. of the complex, so we don't need the actual source yeah. material. That's why I love in the Protestant Reformation that they would say we're reformed, but always reforming. Mm -hmm. Like we've been changed, but we always need to keep yeah. coming back. And I think the con the is Bible. evangelicalism is not doing that. No, it is not. It is no longer You're entrenched and further entrenching right. <laughs> rather yeah. than saying, what does the Bible say? What have we missed? Where are our blind spots? Where do we need to grow? It gets back to some of what you were saying, Joel, about humility. Uh, for sure. Yeah, one of the, uh, I, I would say to you, uh, well, from for one of the most discouraging things that happened uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention was uh, that about an hour of the time uh, was uh, Vice President Mike Pence had come uh, to speak. Uh, and it was very controversial at, at the convention. This is not a statement on Vice President Pence or Republicans, Democrats. This is more, so I'm not, this is not saying that. It's weighing in on the relationship of a convention of churches and an elected official. So that's just strictly dealing with that on the issue. And so you you had, uh, you know, it was kind of a, on Monday it was announced at the convention, the White House had reached out and asked if Pence could come. And so it actually had to be voted on. And there was this huge pushback and, and going back and forth and a lot of debate uh, between, between people. Uh, it ultimately passed. But it was... I think one of the, the good things that has happened 
in the convention uh, with Southern Baptists over the last, you know, decade, 15 years, is much more intentionality with uh, minorities, all ethnic minorities, uh, and trying to be intentional about it not being just, you know, a bunch of white Southern churches. Uh, so with that has come uh, increased involvement by African American has 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 come an increased listening and stuff. So just like hearing so many African American pastors, even at the convention, saying you you can't do this and allow uh, like this hinders our work um, when we go back to our home churches. You know, there was one African American pastor who was actually had led the pastors conference uh, th that this week and an excellent uh, preacher and pastor. He said. This you know, like I brought a couple of guys with me that have never been to the Southern Baptist Convention, and and they're asking me why are we a part of this, and I have to explain. He's like it sends mixed mi mm -hmm. mixed signals, and in one room panel discussion it was in. They asked you know the pastors, how many of you are going to have difficulty going back and explaining this to your congregation? And about forty percent of the pastors raised their hand like this is a problem. It sends mixed messages where mm -hmm. we're saying in one sense we are people of the Bible. Yet we're saying to be of the Bible means we are identifying kind of in bed with a particular political party. Mm -hmm. uh, and the bad news is that still happens. The good news is I think there is a, an increased awareness, at least by a lot of pastors, uh, you know, 40 and younger, that this is a problem and it needs to change. And a lot of people are doing things to to try to push back against that. But it is, mm -hmm. you know, evangelicals are, are complicit with this. You know, I think when you think about the major, moral majority that started with Reagan in the 80s and stuff, uh, that, and then just the, all the things going on politically it, now with, with the current administration. Like, it, it is a little bit of a, um, a crossroads, I think, for a lot of evangelicals of, like, it's forcing the issue of, like, there needs to be some wrestling with, like, how how we have not faithfully been prophetic uh, mm -hmm. as having scriptures our sole authority. Mm -hmm. Because as one, one person said, look, the job is, uh, it, uh, of elected officials and a pastor is that the elected officials should be sitting in the pew, not standing behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm. They sit under the prophetic word of God. That's and cool. it's the job of the, of the church to speak into these things. And they listen. We don't listen to mm -hmm. them. So I hear you saying that uh, there's a growing minority voice that uh, is still not being listened to? Well, they are being listened to <laughs> increasingly, uh, but not by enough people. Mm -hmm. So just like, 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 for example, like when the vote came on for, for Vice President Pence to be allowed to speak, about 30, at a minimum 30, at a, mo at a maximum 40% voted against that. Ten years ago, that would have been 2% or 1%. <laughs> so it's an aircraft carrier. It takes time to, to change and stuff. Yeah, but I wonder too if you, Corey, if you could speak to because I think a, li a little bit it brings up this interesting concept because I think a lot of young, younger evangelical pastors, like all the guys in the, in this room, are also a little bit at a crossroads because on the one hand you see so much happening in evangelicalism that you want to disassociate from and distance yourself from, but then on the other hand, like Nate, you're saying like they're still not being listened to, which in large part is true, but also without without some younger pastors like pushing in 
it's that's not going to happen. So I think a lot of guys are in like almost a little bit of an existential crisis where it's like, I don't know whether to more fully engage and seek to like bring regime change to evangelicalism in whatever area of it I'm in or whether to just step back. But stepping back also produces the unintended consequence of letting those currently in power mm -hmm. maintain the, the power and yeah. authority that is that is right. the problem. Yeah, and I think one of the encouraging things about like, so like out of this, like the, the uh, pastor from North Carolina um, who is probably in his 40s or something, he's one of the youngest presidents in, in recent history to be elected Second youngest ever. Okay, so he like the day after he was elected came out with a statement, basically apologizing for what happened, saying this is not good. We can't. We're sending mixed signals. This is not good. The president, vice president, and for the convention, and the second vice president is uh, African American, Hispanic, and a Caucasian pastor. So it's it's those things where it's like. Okay, now that you're, you're getting people in places of leadership, so when that call comes from the White House, there are voices at the table saying, okay, we want to show respect to the office of the president of the White House and things, but this is not a time to mix those things. And, you know, so part, I think the exhortation for a lot of people there was like, look, if you leave, this will always stay the same. And unless people get involved, younger pastors get involved, and, and kind of push back on this lying in bed with any political party, um, because there are churches that lie in bed with the Democratic Party. There are churches that lie in bed with the Republican Party. And again, you, you, there needs to be a sense of, of pastors saying, look, we, we don't lie in bed with any political party, you know, that we are a prophetic voice. We're called to speak into all these things. So. I think what's interesting is it reminds me, like, not to, like, get too off topic or, or nerd out, but it reminds me of, like, in the Middle Eastern countries when they were going through the Arab Spring where you had these, like, totalitarian, totalitarian dictators who had all the power and authority but then really through the proliferation of social media, people were finding voice. Like it wasn't being given to them, they were taking it, right? And then those voices were collecting and the collecting of those voices was causing change. And my hope is that you see some of that happening in evangelicalism, like uh, especially among minority uh, members, women, uh, men of color, is that they are speaking more and more and more and, and, and I think being heard more and more Unfortunately, not because they're being given platform, mm -hmm. but because social media and other outlets provide them platform. But I'm hopeful that a similar groundswell will take place mm -hmm. among evangelicalism that will lead and maybe is in some ways, in some ways not, but hopefully will lead to a kind of reformation where enough voices are collecting saying this is wrong mm -hmm. and, and it's being people are being made to reckon with it. Yeah, because part of it in, in trying to use the mechanisms of institutions to, to make changes it just it takes time you know we, we evangelicalism didn't did not get in the current state overnight it's not going to change overnight uh and so you try to be hopeful because if there's not hope then what what do you you know what do you, what are you left with uh so um, just anyway. a quick point of clarification. Yeah. We can just, spend hours on this, yeah, on this right, topic. Right. Just for people listening that don't have, so like people like me didn't grow up in a Southern Baptist yeah. church, don't really have a lot of uh, understanding of how all these things work. Y you seem to be speaking of evangelicalism and the Southern Baptist Convention almost synonymously. Can yeah, you just speak I, to that? Yeah, no, I think it's just trying to, I, I do think that, you know, part of even coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, it is a... Um, you know, it's the largest Protestant denomination. Mm -hmm. So I do think it, you could use it almost like a case study as a way of, of kind of narrowing in and looking at this. And it is mostly true, I think, of the larger picture as well mm -hmm. because it represents such a significant portion of American evangelicalism.
So good. Well, let's move to the kind of third priority of evangelicalism, which is uh, cruciformity, <laughs> crucicentrality, cross-centeredness. Like cross-centeredness. Yeah. I don't even. Try. Uh, what are the cons of being cross-centered? The the one that, that comes to mind is is, uh, and again, a good thing distorted. A caricature a caricature can be creative of any good thing. Obviously, it's hard to even speak negatively of the cross. Like, how can you? I think one way that people have is neutering it of its its beauty and its um, offensiveness. That there's a way that you can speak about the cross. I think where it's so disconnected from normal people's lives the people that don't have a con that that are that don't have biblical literacy that don't um have any understanding of why you would be talking about the cross and yet the cross is just it's on your lips just the fact that the cross is on your lips Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're actually cross-centered yeah you just gotta look to the cross right yeah right yeah it's like what does that even what do you mean yeah there's power in the blood like right what no i I think there is it's wonder working power It's. Uh, I think there, where you you think some, you know, authors who who in kind of recent years have have talked about the cross being like cosmic child abuse, that you know for someone who didn't grow up thinking about okay the son of God, you know being killed, crucified, that you can think about it in ways that like oh wow this is a problem like why would God, you know want his son to be why would the father want his son to be killed and bloody and all this thing like it's you know i think that's a good thing a good word joe of, of that we have a lot of preconceived assumption or a lot of assumptions working assumptions when we talk about the cross that sometimes we need to back up and, and work through those things yeah i i think that it's a failure of evangelicalism to understand that the cross is central to the christian life not only in that jesus died on it but that jesus also said to pick it up and and to follow him and to die to self and, and I think when I was growing up in church that the centrality of the cross meant every week the pastor was saying, you need to be forgiven of your sins through Jesus dying for you, full stop. And, and that it was almost just, just an unwillingness to follow that through. And then once that's happened, you need to pick up your cross mm-hmm. and follow Jesus, which will mean dying to self and laying down uh, rights and privileges in pursuit of the kingdom of God. And, and I think in some ways the, the flaw of evangelicalism is not being too cross-centered, but not really fully cross-centered in the sense that the cross has become only synonymous with substitutionary atonement uh, and not at all with, with a way of living that, that would be uh, uh, emblematic of Jesus. Yeah, and that way it gets connect, disconnected from yeah. activism, which is that fourth part he was yeah. talking about, because you will hear sometimes evangelicals, like if you hear sometimes... Someone talking about oh we should be uh, we should be thinking about poverty we should be thinking about uh, kind of social justice issues they say no 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 we are people of the cross yeah. you know it's like well you know those are not uh, you know those are not meant to be in opposition uh, to to each other yeah it's, yeah it's tragic how we pit things against each other there shouldn't be like uh, in some theological circles there's argument about uh, if you should focus on the Jesus on the cross or Jesus as the king of his kingdom right. and just like yeah. how as if those no, both. were two different yeah. things uh, just saying like cross-centered never means at the exclusion of who Christ is in his fullness yeah. uh, that we should derive our soteriology of how we're saved uh, and just all of our Christian life and hope in in Jesus being the eternally begotten son of God who was incarnate who lived a uh, 
a life as the new Adam and died on our behalf and, and rose in victory over Satan's sin and death and ascended and is seated and will return. Like yeah. uh, the cross should never be shorthand at the exclusion mm-hmm. of the full work mm-hmm. uh, and person of Christ. Yeah, I think you said in the last ep- episode, just the centrality of it. There's a difference between the centrality of it and it being the totality of what yeah. you talk about. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it is certainly a centr- the central fixed point of the yeah. story of redemption, yeah. but that it doesn't, it's, it doesn't create a blind spot. For yeah, I think else. all roads lead to the cross and all roads lead from the cross and that the cross, we, we're compelled to come to it and to go out from mm-hmm. it. I, I think when I think about activism and where evangelicalism has gone wrong is I really think it has become about institutions, yes. not about activity. I think it's become about denominations and seminaries and political institutions and and when that happens it's like in history when christianity becomes synonymous with institutions it gets corrupted it bogs down i mean i think that's just been true whether it's rome or whether it's dallas and the sbc convention that christianity is a is a movement is a kingdom built around Jesus Christ that is perpetually meant to be in motion on mission. I think once you have an institution and even like to tie all these things together and someone comes and says, I think we're not living in in accordance with the Bible, an institution perceives it as a threat, right? Mm -hmm. It says, oh my goodness, we we have to build up a wall. We have to justify. Mm -hmm. I think a movement says, we're willing to hear that because what matters is what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to Mm do. I think if there's any hope for evangelicalism, and I think nobody in this room cares about evangelicalism as a cultural moment, right? But if there's any hope for the philosophy or or the idea or these four tenets of evangelicalism, it would be that we remind ourselves we're about a kingdom, not about institutions. Institutions can come and go. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. It's about what we're trying to accomplish under the banner of right. Jesus Christ. I think it goes back to something we were talking about earlier about the political aspect of to where I, I think sometimes. I don't think I know that because maybe one political party is has a a social issue that maybe is a good thing. So you think about like you know, again a, the the topic of abortion, the issue of abortion. You know, it's a good thing to seek to defend the most vulnerable and the voiceless uh, of our of our society. It's a good thing. Being unborn children. Being unborn children. Yeah, uh, and but then tying that to where because this political party talks about this, therefore we there is a to be a Christian and to be a means to embrace all of this. Yeah. Therefore they're the party of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and that, and I think, you know, to try to be objective, there are things that every political party, I think part of it is like every politician I've ever heard, there are things that like, Oh yeah, I like that. I agree with that. And things are like, Oh no, I, I don't agree with that. So I think part of being a Christian and thinking about how to think about this healthily is if you are agreeing with everything, any politician is saying or disagreeing with everything, any politician is saying you're probably not thinking about mm-hmm. this in a, in a healthy way mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. politicians don't speak for God. Right. Uh, scripture speaks for God, and the church has been given that prophetic Yeah, and voice. I think the danger for that, and the re- I mean, there are a lot of dangers that come from that, but one of them is that then when I sit down with someone, and this is not anecdotal, like I did this yesterday. This happens to me all the time. When I sit down with someone and I call them to faith in Christ, what they hear me saying is that I'm also calling them to all these institutions, right? I'm calling you to vote this way, dress this way, yeah. eat and drink this way, right? And, 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 and just that's the danger is it becomes about these institutions and the right. embracing of all of these things mm-hmm. versus saying all I'm calling you to is faith in Christ and to follow Christ right. uh, wherever he leads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not telling you how to vote. Yeah, so uh, any final thoughts? 
So I think if, uh, you know, hopefully you're not more confused uh, after listening to these than, than before. Again, uh, evangelicalism is a very confusing topic to get into. It's very complex. Um, there's lots of different perspectives, lots of different angles. Again, we've kind of used these four categories uh, because we think they're helpful. That doesn't mean that's the only way to understand evangelicalism. Uh, so I think if summing up, uh, up all things here that we've, we've said, I want to affirm there are some good things um, uh, about evangelicalism that, that we talked about, particularly in the second podcast. We want to celebrate those things. But also there are a lot of concerns, a lot of things that are frustrating, a lot of things that are discouraging, a lot of things that are disappointing. And I think most historians and, and people that are much more informed about this than we are w- would all say that in many ways evangelicalism is at a crossroads. And what it looks like in 10 years I think most people would, would agree it's going to look different than it does now. Whether that's good or bad, I think I think the jury is is still out. So, uh, so again, if this leads to other questions, particularly for our members, um, then please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, the way that you work through things is by getting questions answered and by um, by by getting more information. Uh, so again, if you have questions about any of the things that we've talked about. Uh, Please, please, please reach out uh, to us, and, and we'll be happy to discuss these things, these things more. So, uh, just a reminder also that you can go to the website citychurchcle.com. We have a pastors podcast page there. You can check out other podcasts we've done. If you missed the first two segments of this series, you can you can check those out there. Uh, then this series, this this podcast would would probably make a little bit more sense uh, re- listening to those. Uh, so as always, uh, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week.